0: Good evening and welcome to This Week in Football from the makers of Low Limit Football. I'm your host, Joe Ucello. And tonight, along with my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas, we bring you the final preview of our World Cup preview series, Group H as Portugal, Ghana. Uruguay and South Korea all head to the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Roberto, this is a great group, a talented group. Another jam-packed group full of difficult decisions. We saw that in Group G. We saw it in F. Um, we've seen it in Group B. And I think this one is going to be a difficult one to pick. You know, you've seen Portugal with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo um, probably in his last World Cup, you might think. Uh, Ghana returning to the competition. Certainly very, very talented group. South Korea, always well-organized. Hong Min-Song is there as well. And uh, Darwin Nunez leads the line for Uruguay, now replacing Luis Suarez and uh, Edison Cavani. Um, not necessarily replacing them. They'll also be on the on the club or on the on the team. But uh, you have an out with the old in with the new going on there as well. This is a great group to kind of challenge for this World Cup because I think the the winners or who's going to come out of this group is not really crystal clear. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think, um, I think it really is a group that I think will ultimately be very
1: much entertaining. And, you know, it's not as crystal clear like a lot of these groups as well. But, you know, certainly there are a lot of storylines that come to it. Obviously, when you look at Portugal and, and kind of the last dance for Cristiano Ronaldo to see what kind of legacy he can put at this competition and, and go out and then and, and to win it and, and to really cement himself as maybe one of the greatest, not the greatest player of all time. And certainly, when you look at Uruguay, a team that has tradition, has history, has won various World Cups, or well, two of them in, in 1930, 1950, but they definitely have the, the the pedigree to definitely do well in this competition. And then you look at the wild cards with South Korea, with Hong Min Sun, always you know performing well for a side at Tottenham. See if he can do that on the national team level. And Ghana, you know, who are back at the World Cup for the first time since 2014. Definitely a a matchup uh, against Uruguay that will definitely be one to watch out for. If you look at the history at the World Cup and what they did back in 2010, there's going to be revenge for them. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of storylines are on this on this group, and I'm super excited to hear what the experts have to say about it.
0: So let's jump into it with those experts joining us. First and foremost was Jesse Loesch. Jesse, uh, you know, has previously previewed our 2018 World Cup, and she joined us again to preview Group H and Uruguay as they head in. So, without further ado, the Jesse Loesch interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview Uruguay in the 2022 World Cup, our friend Jesse Loesch from Unusual Efforts. Jesse, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back on. Um, And we want to jump right into it because we want to talk about your ties to uh, Uruguay, the Uruguayan national team. I know Roberto and I are very familiar with it. Um, And also, of course, your love for Diego Forlan.
2: Oh, that's it. You. I was also about to be like, "It's is it still 2022? It is. So I'm glad you just kept going because I would have ruined it already.
0: <laughs> so yeah, tell us about uh, your ties to Uruguay.
2: Um, I'm currently sitting under a poster of the very first World Cup. I am, This none of this was planned. I'm just, I happen to be sitting in my apartment underneath that poster. I am wearing a shirt that, um says, again, gifted to me, keep calm and let Cáceres handle it. and one of my socks, not the other one, is a peñarol um, sock. So I feel like in as a totality, that could all this sort of describe my ties. Or I could just tell you that my family is from Uruguay and you know, that's the boring answer.
1: Well, I mean, certainly, you know, this is a team that obviously we're all familiar with, Jesse. And, and Joe obviously knows this as well, because obviously Uruguay, you know, I, I think obviously we talk about the big national team. We talk about Germany, we talk about France, Brazil, even Argentina, as much as Jesse, mm-hmm. you don't want to talk about yeah. them. But again, very big national team in this one. Fifteen Copa America champions, 15 time Copa America champions, two World Cup, won the first ever one in 1930. Won it again in 1950 in the famous Maracanazo over yeah. there, where 200,000 Brazilian fans were basically uh, sent into tears um, in the biggest attendance for a football match ever. But obviously, in present times, here we are in 2022, a Uruguay side where four years ago they got knocked out into the round into the quarterfinals against the, the, the later champions France. And then they went through a period that was kind of a roller coaster, you would say. Obviously, they were still managed at the time by uh, Oscar Tavares, the, the famous maestro. But during the end of the 2021 year, we saw Uruguay go through four straight losses in qualification, and many people were thinking that this, uh, that Uruguay's end of going to a World Cup was getting near. Having said that, they ended up replacing Tavares after 16 years in charge bringing in a manager called Diego Alonso, a manager that Joe and I, and you as well, Jesse, know from his time as from Inter-Miami boss. And he goes in and he goes and wins four straight off the bat, qualifies for the World Cup, and now are back at it for a fourth straight time. So, Jesse, I just wanted your thoughts on how you viewed this Uruguay side during qualification. I know that we're going to talk about the players and the group in a bit, but just overall, this kind of, you know, I'd say roller coaster ride that we saw from this Uruguay team to, to make it to Qatar.
2: I think you know it was so interesting. I I think for um, for a lot of us, um, there were real emotional ties to Dawaris. Um, he, unlike in a lot of other national teams. Um, was given a lot of um, trust and and allowed more time than other other managers. But he also managed both the national team and the youth team. So these players, like you know, you referred to, Robert, he, they called him el maestro, the teacher. Um, not only because that was his, you know, um, his his role before becoming the manager, but they really viewed him with um, that kind of um, sort of pedestal-like trust and respect. And he took us as a nation through a decade and a half, (laughs) meaning that he gave us this particular squad. You know, Suarez, um, Godin, Josema, Cavani, they came up under Morena, they came up. Uh, they came up under him through the u seventeens, the u twenty ones, and then as the national team. So this style of play, and these players were his players. Um, so there was a question of when he went, would those players go as well? Um, and I and you know, again, emotionally, um, Tavares, we we all watched him um, get get sick, you know. So it was it was not just a question of like is he losing his touch or should he go because he's he's aging and we're losing, but he had he was um, diagnosed finally with um, Guillain Barré syndrome and in autoimmune disorder, and so we were seeing this happen on the pitch, and it was a really like emotional experience as well um I think that um the association and the players responded in an an undramatic (laughs) way the transition happened as at least on the outside um smoothly and part of that perhaps was you know that he was sick um and that Alonso has ties to the players, but also that he kept this core group um, and the the youth that Tavares had already been working on. So it didn't feel like he sort of cleaned house.
0: So, Jesse, I want to jump in here now and start to look ahead at the group as we enter into November Um, They're obviously paired in Group H along with Portugal, Ghana, and South Korea. As they stand, uh, Portugal is ranked 8th in the world, Ghana 60th, and South Korea 29th. This is also a group where Uruguay has eliminated all three of these other teams Um, recently. 2010, uh, they eliminated South Korea and Ghana from the World Cup, and in 2018, they eliminated Portugal Um, looking forward, how do you feel Uruguay pairs uh, or sets up against these sides moving into this particular competition this year?
2: I think everybody is going to look most, um, specifically and crucially at the match against Ghana, because that is the, (laughs) the, the most dramatic recent history with players that are still playing, you know, everybody is going to be talking and looking at, um, Suarez and Gian, and looking at it as like, you know, um, I guess a like a revenge match. Um, I think that it's, you know, for me, now that Human Sun and Betancourt are playing together at Spurs, I think that's a really interesting lineup. Um, I'm always fascinated by players who play together. Um, on a club team and then are faced off against each other also because those particular, these particular national teams are in two vastly different competitions. And so the other players are not going to be so familiar with playing style. Um, and however, uh, unlike that, um, Many of our Portuguese of our players will be familiar with the Portuguese players because they do play together in Spain and Europe. So I think for me, what is most interesting is that this lineup is offers such different um, styles of of matchups. I said that in such a ridiculous way. It's like I talked in an actual rhombus.
0: (laughs) It's all right. We, we allow it. Great,
1: yeah. <laughs> and and looking at obviously some of the players that you'd mentioned, um, Jesse, and you know, I think we have been so familiar with this team for you know for over a decade, really. Your Godines, your Suarez, it's Cavani, um, Muslera. I mean, hard to believe that he's still playing at this age, and it seems I like he's know. always been there forever. <laughs> it's crazy, and then even like someone like Jose Jimenez, he's only twenty-seven. Hard to believe. It. I was looking at the other; it's like there's no way. I feel like that guy's been playing. He playing
2: like since he was sixteen. Like you expect him to be like forty nine. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you got players like Coates and Vecino and all those guys. And but looking at this team, and I was really impressed to what I saw four years ago. You know, obviously, it ended really sadly against a really good French side in in the quarterfinals. But, you know, this team is four years, obviously more have more experience. look at the midfield and look at these players like, Federico Valverde, who's winning titles galore over there at Real Madrid. Bentancur with the experience that he's had at Juventus and Tottenham. Uh, Descaretta, who's, I think, one of the best players, I think, in South America at the moment for a Flamengo side that just is wowing everyone. Looking at other ones out there and, and looking at some of the new faces, some of the new faces that we probably didn't see four years ago. The likes of Arona Araujo Ar- Ar- at oh. Barcelona, Matias Vigna at Roma. And I think the big one that I think a lot of people in the Premier League are really focused on is Darwin Nunez. So, Really going into that, and I wanted to lead it to more to him rather than the others. Do you feel as if though he is ready to succumb to that pressure of starting on a World Cup team for these matches? Or do you feel that with all the experience that Suarez and Cavani have had, even though they moved teams this, um, this summer, uh, Cavani going to Valencia and Suarez going back to Nacional, do you still feel like that experience is still something that you're quite definitely need? or is it time for someone like Nunez to really step up and be the main man up front
2: so i think the 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 best i you both of you of all people know that i never get optimistic or hyperbolic about my team so i cannot believe i'm going to allow myself to say this but the best thing that Uruguay has always had really you know people talk about Garracherua, and, and yes, that's true. But for me, we have always, and that just got stronger under Tavares, exemplified the idea of unity. This idea of like, you know, team over individual. There are no stars on. In Uruguay national team, and you'll hear that like in constantly in interviews with everybody from you know, Obdulio Varela to Forlan now to Suarez and Cavani. That and they will say that to them, yes, they're so upset when they don't score, but it doesn't matter who scores whether it's their club team or their national team, it does not matter who scores as long as the ball gets in the goal. It is not about individual glory. It is about the win. Um, And that is typical. That that is like drilled into um, the Uruguay national team mentality. And that really helps when, um, and, and sorry, and part of that is um, in the transitional process, you'll see like mentorship happening, like Lugano mentored Godin. Godin is, I think the father, eh, father-in-law Jesus, the um, um, godfather of a number of the younger players' children who lived in Spain. So like there has always been this sort of mentorship happening. Um, and I, I'm hoping that that really will help when some of these younger players, you know, have to step up and take a leadership role that they won't feel so much pressure on their shoulders because they will know that they're surrounded by, you know, other players who are going to take that pressure and that weight off their shoulders, but also be surrounded by, you know, I can't believe I'm saying veteran like Josema, but like, yes, because he's been playing so long. And we're also lucky that a lot of our other players are getting playing time. You know, like I said about Cassides and (laughs) on my shirt. You know, like, he just got, um, is playing in in LA, in MLS, so he will have the fitness level to be able to, you know, step on the pitch a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I think um, it won't feel, it will for the world, who are going to, like, stare at him, but it hopefully won't feel to players like Nunez that it's just on him.
0: Well, I think the I I think the experience of the other players will certainly help carry some of that weight or a lot of that weight, um, both on the pitch and off in the locker room. So, Jesse, it's prediction time. Um, so, wanna yeah. always ask you? The, I'm mad at this. Okay. No, so it's a million dollar question. You know, where do you feel uh, Uruguay will finish uh, in the group? Uh, how far do you think they'll run? And. You know, we asked you this, uh, which made you speechless four years ago. What would uh, winning the title for the first time in 72 years mean to the people of Uruguay?
2: Oh God, um, yeah. Okay, I'll go. I'll take it as a as a list. Um, I uh, I see us. I have to be a little bit pessimistic. I see us coming in second in the group. I really, really want to beat Portugal again. Like, that just would make me so happy. Um, so I'm just going to say second because that would just, like, that would be successful and great. Um, okay. What's my next right. question? Oh, how far we're going to get? Yeah. Uh, Joe, what would, so
1: be a, what would be a successful World Cup for you? What right. do
2: other people say?
0: Uh, you're number one believe it or not. So So you get the my
1: In my personal take, and I'd like to hear Joe about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What are you guys saying about your team? I think this World Cup is so open and it's so hard to really figure this out. Honestly,
0: I think I see him as a dark horse. Okay.
2: No, no, no. What are you saying about your own team?
0: um uh, okay well i well we only we well, roberto and i both have the same we got the
1: u.s so <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about that later you're
0: opening old that. wounds here um <laughs> and so I know, right? um but yeah for me for uruguay i i you know, I, I do think second, Um, I think they could pip first. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibilities. And correct me if I'm wrong, they're going to face either first place in Group G or second place in Group G, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they go uh,
2: first or second in the group. Yeah. And,
0: and coming second, I think, is going to be really bad for them because it's going to be Brazil on the other side. So um, I'm going to say that they'll get uh, they'll get to the round of 16. They'll make it out of the group, but... Depending on where they finish, there, uh, I think it's not going to be too much further than that, and that's not a reflection of of Uruguay being bad so much as it is, this is going to be a very good World Cup, I think, yep. in my opinion. So that's that's where I'm predicting. Okay. Um, how about okay. how about what this means for the people of Uruguay?
2: I mean, Roder, you're gonna you're gonna sort of understand the like <laughs> larger socio implications of this as well. Um, it sounds nuts until you sort of put this into the context of what football means um, in LATAM, the, this has been, you know, the this has been four years for every country. Like, if you look at what these past four years have been, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, even, like, when you look at what the England women national team that win meant for the country as a whole and, like, you know, what was the the newspaper wrote basically like the England women's team won and now the world is all better. You know, it's like that kind of response. Mm-hmm. Um, Uruguay uh, is, you know, still trying to hold down against COVID and, it, you know, against its borders of Brazil and Argentina. It's having like an economic crisis of sorts, again, buffeted by Argentina. So I I think like to look at bringing home um, the World Cup trophy that we know is probably going to be the last World Cup of this group that we won't see again, you know, of Suarez in particular and Cavani. And now I'm going to make myself cry. Like, that's not great. Um, So for to get like for those guys to bring it home right now, I cannot imagine the tears and like the the like Fidialo period and the newspaper headlines of like, you know, this is better than everything that has ever happened, including the birth of every child ever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. Sounds about right. So um, Jesse, I want to, I want to thank you for joining us um, and breaking down Uruguay. All the best to you and look forward to having you again soon.
2: Thank you so much for letting me come on. You guys are just the best, not better than Uruguay, but like other than that, pretty much the best.
0: And special thanks again to Jesse for joining us on the show. Next up, we have Steve Price returning to us, Korean football journalist to discuss South Korea as they head to the 2022 world cup. So without further ado, the Steve price interview and joining us now. And this week in football to help preview South Korea in group H as they head to the 2022 world cup in Qatar, Steve price from Forbes joins us now, Steve, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back again. Four years after South Korea last made their run in the 2018 world cup in Russia. Um, we, we were able to have you four years ago, and it was fantastic to get you to help us break uh, break down the South Korean side. Um, I want to refresh the guests' memories as to your ties to covering uh, the South Korean national team and Korean football in general.
3: Right, yeah. So um, I'm a sports reporter here in South Korea. And I covered um, most of the games over the last, uh, I guess, probably five or six years. Um like reporting on them live in a stadium for FIFA. And I've also worked with the uh, the Korean national team as well, uh, kind of giving them like a bit of advice and things like that, uh, especially when it comes to kind of choosing coaches and those kind of things. Uh, so I've been you know, working with them a bit um, and kind of know what's going on and on the inside a bit more than, than most people, I think.
1: Now, Steve, obviously looking into how South Korea have been through over the last four years, it's been kind of a of a roller coaster ride, but always a powerhouse in Asia, as we know. If you remember from four years ago, they had that famous win against Germany that unfortunately did knock them out of the World Cup despite losing to Sweden and Mexico early on. I think the win against Germany definitely boosted a bit of confidence on this side. Now you fast forward into the qualification process in the Asian Cup, they finished in the quarterfinals, which certainly, I think, for, for a South Korean perspective, is, is certainly below expectations, and then they go into the qualifying process, finishing second, two points behind Iran, with seven wins, two draws, and one loss. Obviously, we know that this side has been you know, one of the powerhouses of Asia, if not maybe the powerhouse of Asia for quite some time, but what have you really assessed from this South Korean side over the last four years, from Russia to now, heading into the World Cup in Qatar?
3: Yeah, that, um, that Asian Cup seems quite a long time ago, to be honest, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so I think last time in in 2018, yeah, uh, you know, Korea actually all of their goals in all, all three goals they scored kind of came in the last minute of games. And I think there's a feeling within the KFA that maybe Korea were a bit too cautious, uh, a bit too, yeah, giving the other teams too much respect, if you know what I mean. So um, I think now they've gone in and they've changed their manager, brought in uh, Paolo Bento, and he's, in qualification, been fantastic. Like, uh, in previous qualifications, like in for 2018 and for 2014, Korea uh, really struggled a lot and, like, went through on like, goal difference or went through in the last game, and there was a lot of nervousness. But this time, at least in the yeah the second round, the, uh, the third round of qualification, the... Uh, Kind of vital round which decides whether you're in the World Cup or not. Uh, Korea absolutely cruised through it, and they qualified with I think there's 23 points, so that was like 11 points more than they needed. 11 points more than third place. Uh, they beat Iran for the first time in a long time, which was huge. Uh, Iran are always that team that Korea really struggle seems seems to struggle against, and uh, they got a draw against Iran away, so that was another good result. Uh, So coming through the qualification, there's a lot of positivity. And, um, yeah, I think maybe the bubble was burst a bit when they played Brazil back in June and they lost 5-1. Maybe that shows uh, the golfing uh, inability between the top teams in Asia and the top teams in the world, perhaps. Uh, But it's quite a a positive feeling um, around the side. But at the same time, it's, it's a tricky group. I mean, well, all the groups are tricky, but uh, there's a few tricky games in there.
0: But sh- certainly a, a, a good showing, I, I know, given that Brazil 5-1 defeat in the friendly back in June. You know, this is also a team that beat Chile in, in friendlies. Um, they beat... they handedly beat uh egypt 4-1 in a friendly um and like you uh, had said earlier they were able to get the 1-1 draw in tehran and then come back to seoul uh on one of the, the second to last match day of qualifying and beat Iran at uh 2-0 so this is a team i think that is experienced and prepared but going into group h uh, this is going to be a tough group. It's, it's a very, very even group. Obviously facing Portugal, Ghana, and Uruguay with them as well. When you look back at South Korea's experience, they've actually faced these teams, or, or many of these teams, in the World Cup. Um, they've faced Uruguay in the World Cup in the group stages most recently in 1990. Um, they were you know losing 1-0. Uh, they also have faced um, Portugal in the 2002 FIFA World Cup when uh, when South Korea was the home team. The only team that they haven't really faced uh in a world cup would be uh with would be ghana but they have faced them a couple of times um eight times to be exact so how does this group kind of play out for you given the style of the south korean team uh their ability to be technically sound against a sort of a wild cards in my opinion in uruguay and ghana
3: yeah it's a group with quite a lot of history in it especially um uruguay when uruguay played ghana as well that's going to be a, a feisty match from a um, that World Cup in 2010 when, uh, of course, was it Suarez handballing on the line? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of matches that mean a lot to all of these teams, uh, regardless of whether it's the World Cup or not. So it's, I think that's going to be kind of interesting. Um, yeah, you mentioned back in 20 uh, in 2002, that Portugal match. I was actually South Korea manager Paulo Bento's last game for Portugal. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. kind of an uh, interesting aside. Um, but yeah, there's that kind of history and it's quite an evenly balanced group. I think it's one of the harder ones to predict because, I mean, Portugal on paper look extremely strong, uh, but they're that kind of team that's, that looks good, but then always seems to underperform. Um, they, I mean, they only got through to the World Cup through the playoffs uh, after losing to Serbia. So it's hard to judge how good they actually are. Um yeah, they've got all those extremely talented players, uh, as we know, like Cancelo, Diaz, Bruno, uh, Bernardo, Silva, João Felix. Yeah, but at the same time, no, nobody's quite sure. They're not like I feel like Brazil or France. who feel are, like the absolute strongest sides. They are quite interesting. They seem to be um, going for a bit of a, a renewal at the moment. They're bringing in. Uh, the new generation of players there, guys like Nunes coming through, like uh, Araujo or Valverde coming through as well. So it's it's interesting to see them. I think those players, yeah, they're, they're great, great players as well. So I think they're going to be, they could be one of the surprise teams in this World Cup if uh, they get everything clicking. Uh, they look pretty good in qualification as well. Ghana are quite interesting too, because um, they kind of had a, it seemed to be in a bit of a mess um around their qualifying playoffs. They changed their manager um, at the start of this year, bringing in Otto Addo. So like most teams in the World Cup have had the same manager for the most of the qualification process, uh, and it's like the end of the four-year cycle, but they've just changed their manager. So that's kind of interesting. And then him, along with uh, Chris Houghton, who's advising him, have naturalized a load of players and uh, brought them into the squad to strengthen it. Guys like Ingi Williams uh, from Athletic Bilbao, like Turek Lam- Lamptey from uh, Brighton. And so they've added, they suddenly added a load of strength to their squad. Their squad did look like probably the weakest on paper um, before they uh, brought in these extra players, but now it's looking quite good. So it's, uh, I think it's going to be a very even group.
1: And certainly looking at these players that we obviously are going to talk about on the South Korean team, we'll take one out. Uh, that we obviously know in a minute, but obviously look at some of the cool players that they have, like uh, Kim Min-jae, who plays in Napoli, obviously some players playing in the Premier League, like Hwani Chan and, you know, many others playing across Europe. I mean, I think obviously all attention is going to be given on their main star, Hong Min-san. You know, certainly not only the best Asian player in the world, but certainly one of the best players in the world on his day, given his great form and what he's been able to achieve at Tottenham. And is really been kind of the, the the flag bearer i guess for not just for south korean football but for asian football as a whole for the entire world so i just want your thoughts on like how do you assess this squad of players and and also you know obviously the world cup is certainly going to be one where all the camera lens are going to be on the main stars like min son how do you think that someone like him will will manage that pressure especially with the side that you know obviously has indeed changed over the last four years
3: yeah, so it's it's quite a thin side, to be honest, and that really cost them in 2018. Uh, they had Kim Min-jae and Kwon Chang-hoon, the midfielder, two huge players for the Korean national team. Both got injured in May before the last World Cup, and uh, that yeah that really weakened their sides. Uh, that was two huge losses, so hopefully there's not going to be any injuries like that this time around uh, because there's not as much depth, I think, as uh, some of the other squads. They've got some really talented players. Everybody knows what Sonning Min can do. You know, joint top scorer in the Premier League last season. Uh, I think anybody would want him on their team. And he's done it for the national team. He scores roughly one in every three games for the national team. So uh, he's he's getting the goals there. And he's also being the leader on the pitch. Uh, In defence, you've got Kim Min-jae. And the rest of the Korean defence isn't that strong. And I thought it was a huge loss in the last World Cup that he wasn't there. He's just got better and better since then. Uh, as you know, he's now joined Napoli. He's uh, replaced Koulibaly for them. Uh, so that's how highly he's thought of uh, in the world of football. And I think that's going make to make a huge difference if he's playing. You've got that rock in the middle of defence that's going to really help out the back line uh, in those matches. He's so good in like all aspects of his game. Uh, then um, you look at Korea's attack. They're kind of a, a bit of an imbalanced team. Their defence isn't that strong, but their attack has uh, a lot of talent in it going forward. Everybody knows Son, of course. Uh, but you've got other guys. Um, yeah, You've got uh, Yi Jo's been uh, firing on all cylinders quite a bit. You've got uh, the next generation coming through now as well, guys like Jong-U uh, Yong. Um, for anybody watching South Korea should point out there's two players called uh, Jong U Young. Their names are spelled a bit differently, but the pronunciation is the same. So it could be a little bit difficult. Um, so I'm talking about the uh, 22 year old who plays for Freiburg, and he's he's going to be you know the next generation coming through. You've got E uh, Gang In. Actually, he couldn't get in the squad for a long time, despite playing in La Liga. Uh, he's been called up for the the next two games, uh, the friendlies this month against Costa Rica and Cameroon, and he's such an exciting uh, prospect for Malaga, um, Mallorca. He's actually scored scored one and uh, got three assists in his first five games this season in La Liga, so he's a really top talent. Uh, you've got guys like Kwangyi Chan, whose whose pace is going to hurt anyone on the counter attack. So I feel up front, um, yeah, Korea have a lot a lot to threaten other teams, but yeah, the the defense, uh, there's some weak points, especially at uh, a fullback, which is probably their weakest position on the pitch.
0: So, Steve, we're going to we're going to jump into the prediction part of the uh, of the interview and uh, and look at the look at the South Korean side as they go through Group H. Um, obviously, we've mentioned the teams that they're going to face in Portugal, Uruguay and Ghana. Uh, this is a side that other than the fourth place finish in 2002 as the host have only made it out of the group stage once in the World Cup um and and most recently finishing 19th in the 2018 world cup in russia what are your thoughts on or your prediction for them to um to advance in this uh in this group and how far can this team run
3: yeah i think it's like um like most world cups there's there's always a chance of going through um it's kind of like maybe a 50 50 chance uh Probably going to be that second or third team in the group, uh, and that, that seems to be how it is most years, uh, unless they have a very bad World Cup, like in 2014. So um, I think if they can get out of the group, people would see that as a big success. If they can get into the knockout stages, and then if you're in the knockout stages, you know anything can happen. Maybe uh, like the game goes well on that that day, and you get through to the next round. So I think that's what everybody's kind of hoping for. They can see it's possible to uh to get out of this group uh but it's it's still going to be very tough
0: certainly you know and and looking forward let's say they do make it out of the out of the out of the group they make a deep run you know that obviously they've made a deep run in 2002 and and I think that has you know had buoyed the south korean you know football in general uh because since then they have not missed a world cup so Let's say they move further than that, further than fourth, let's say make it to a final, even win the World Cup. What would it mean for South Korean football or even Asian football in general? Uh, and what would it mean to the people of South Korea?
3: Well, I mean, they've been at the World Cup for every single World Cup since the 1980s, uh, uh, back playing against guys like Maradona and stuff. Um, they're consistently at the World Cup. Uh, getting out of the group is the hard thing. Um, and you know, they they, did it... Uh, of course, they did it in 2002, but also did it in 2010. So a lot of people can also see that, which kind of shows that, you know, 2002 wasn't a complete fluke. They can, they still can get out of the group. Uh, of course, back in 2002, they actually won that group with seven points. A lot of people forget that. A lot of people think about um, those tight games against Spain and Italy where there was maybe some controversial refereeing decisions and actually forget that the, sides, uh, was a very, the Korean side was a very good side, which won its group. Uh, so I think that's also important to point out. I don't think anybody here expects them to go and win the World Cup, though. Uh, if they can get to um, the the knockout rounds, or uh, even further to quarterfinals or something like that, that'll be uh, a very great achievement. If they get yeah quarterfinals or semi-finals, then it'll be pandemonium here. Everybody will be wearing reds, uh, even though it's the middle of winter. Everybody is going to be out on the streets uh, around City Hall, like. Can imagine tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people all wearing red watching the game on big screens outside uh so that real there's there's a real world cup fever here anyway whenever it comes and everybody really gets into it but if they make a deep run it'll just go like through the roof
0: celebration for days for sure steve thank you for coming on the show and joining us and helping us break down south korea as they make the trip to qatar for the 2022 world cup all the best to you and good luck to south korea as they head to the tournament yeah thanks and special thanks again to steve for joining us on the show next up we have adrian Sousa from robona tv to join us to preview portugal as they head over to the qatar for the 2022 world cup so without further ado the Adrian Sousa interview and joining us now on this week in football to break down group H and Portugal is Adrian Sousa from Rabona TV. Adrian, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. I want to start out with a a, a simple question. Um, Your ties to Portuguese football covering and talking about Portuguese football.
4: Yeah. So my parents are actually from the Azores in the middle of the Atlantic ocean, the uh, Hawaii Atlantic edition, basically. So Growing up, um, I always watched Portuguese matches with my dad. Even though I was born and raised in Canada, I always watched Portuguese football. I watched the national team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I fell in love, actually, with football, thanks to the Portuguese national team. I can thank Nuno Gomes for that back in Euro 2000. But um, yeah, ever since, I've been following the team very, very closely. I support Benfica. And here we are. Now I'm ready for another tournament where Fernando Santos is probably going to hurt me again. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, it's interesting to really say that, uh, Adrian, because obviously this is a Portuguese side that we're obviously familiar of. And, you know, I think looking at this generation, I say this to Cristiano Ronaldo generation, it obviously gave you the biggest joy winning the Euros back in 2016 uh, over there in France. But looking at the World Cup, this is a team that had finished in third back in 66, finished in fourth in 2006, and since then has gone through, I'd say, relative not like last year but definitely a roller coaster you see them in in qualifications um, that become difficult usually doing it in the playoff um, but in the last World Cup they ended up going into the round of 16 obviously getting out of that group with Spain Morocco and Iran uh, getting eliminated by um, by Uruguay fast forward to the euros where they also ended up uh, at the round of 16 and just looking at this side I mean you look at the qualification process that they went through obviously they were really guided into a group that was really tough with the likes of a Serbia and Republic of Ireland and all those other teams. They ended up finishing second because of that. Um, ended up going into the playoffs and in that infamous playoffs where it ha- paired them and Italy and everyone was thinking that Portugal was going to take on Italy in that final. It wasn't meant to be and ended up qualifying, defeating North Macedonia. But just, I want your thoughts on how you have assessed this Portuguese side over the last four years, during the Euros, during the qualification, and you know, kind of how that sets up now for the World Cup uh, this fall, I guess we can say in in, in Qatar. Well, I would say that. It's
4: been a lot of frustration because, I mean, everyone who looks at this sort of the talent or the depth pool that Portugal has, it's just a ridiculous side. They have talent all over the place and it feels like they constantly sort of underachieve. Now, of course, you look at Euro 2016 and you can't say that they underachieved. They actually did the opposite. I think that they overachieved in Euro 2016 because, I mean, they were barely even winning any matches in the 90 minutes. And that's sort of been a habit of Portugal under Fernando Santos at major tournaments. Yes, he does have that feather in his cap and winning Euro 2016, take nothing away from him there. He was able to take a squad that isn't as talented as it is now and win a major tournament. Like, we can't really fault the guy, even though it wasn't the most beautiful way to win. But since then, World Cup 2018, Euro 2020, it's been really underwhelming. and It's been really frustrating for a lot of Portuguese supporters because, like I was saying, it just feels like they're capable of so much more. Fernando Santos and his record in, in major tournaments, I believe that he has won... I'm going to have to fact check myself on this, but I believe that it is just two matches across 90 minutes. You know, not counting any matches that go to extra time or shootouts or anything like that. I think that he's only won two in the first 90 minutes of the match, which is pretty crazy because he's been there since Euro 2016, 2018, and 2020 now. So going into this qualifying, we were thinking it's probably going to be another difficult one, but ultimately Portugal will get through with it. Then Serbia changed their manager to Stojkovic, I believe it is. And they just start playing out of their minds. They have a really great squad, very, very talented. I mean, you see their players across Europe playing for top sides now, but it didn't have to be that way. It really didn't have to be that way. And I think that Santos rightfully took a lot of the blame for that. As he said, following press conferences after that failure against Serbia, where they beat us in Portugal, he said that if I fail in the qualification playoffs, I'm going to step down. I will happily do that. It is what I deserve. And of course, as we all know, Italy, they stumble against Macedonia, Portugal, they make it through, they beat Macedonia. It wasn't the most pretty or convincing way to get into the World Cup, but overall, I think that the feeling is just relief that we're finally there, mixed with, if you were to ask some supporters, such as myself, I do fall in this camp, a little bit disappointed that we're going into a World Cup, which will probably be Ronaldo's final one, which has a really, really great generation. Um with a manager who hasn't always impressed or has almost been playing with the, with the seatbelt on or the safe or the uh, emergency break on, shall we say.
0: Now, now Adrian, I, I you know, Goran Pandev is, is a bad word in my house right now. So I don't want to talk about Macedonia because we were robbed of, of that, you know, of that matchup between the last two European champions. It was what it would have come down to. It would have been an amazing thing, but again, Italy's fault for not getting there. Let's look at the group stage, um, or the group uh, analysis at this point. Uh, we're talking about Group H. Portugal qualifies, pot one, eighth-ranked team in the world, uh, according to the March FIFA rankings, facing off against Ghana in 60th, uh, Uruguay in 13th, South Korea in 29th. These are teams also that Portugal has faced in the past um, and, and been reasonably successful so far. So what is your idea of how this group is going to play off play out because even though um, you would think Portugal is going to be the cream of the crop this is still a tricky group to manage
4: It's a really difficult group. Yeah. I mean, South Korea is a team that you should absolutely take seriously all the time. Just looking at all the talent that they have. Uruguay is the team that eliminated Portugal from the previous World Cup. They're always difficult to play with. I know they had a coaching change recently, but there's and I I think that really turned around their qualifying, really. So Uruguay, you cannot sleep on them. Ghana, of course, they're going to be very difficult. That one, I would say. Of all the teams, this Ghana side doesn't seem as strong as a previous Ghana, such as the one that was at the 2010 World Cup or what have you. But having said that, they do have some players that are declaring for them as well. So that makes it all the more difficult to call. I think that when you boil it all down, the expectation has to be that Portugal will make it through, whether that's in one or two. I'm not so sure. (laughs) Take your pick. I would assume in first, but it all depends on how Fernando Santos sets this team up if Ronaldo is going to be that peripheral player that he is now at Manchester United, or if it's going to go back to having a 37 year old Cristiano Ronaldo as that main focus in the attack once again, and all of the players sort of default to just whipping in balls to him. Or if we get to see Portugal play perhaps without him, I know I might be alienating some of your audience here that are big Ronaldo supporters. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But I personally like seeing Portugal play with Ronaldo on the bench a few times. I know that's sort of a naughty thing to say. I thought that the team just overall looked a little bit better, a little bit more fluid, and they didn't default to him all the time. So it really depends. I think Portugal is getting out of this group. I think it's going to be very difficult against South Korea and Uruguay, but I would like to think that they're getting through.
1: I mean, it kind of is a bit true on regarding Cristiano Ronaldo as we talk about the players, because, you know, we kind of seen what he's been doing uh, so far at the start of the season under Eriton High on Manchester United, where he is coming off the bench. And, you know, people, you know, they can have their own opinion on Cristiano Ronaldo, but I think it's always interesting to hear it from a Portuguese standpoint, because I think they're the ones that know better than anyone, really, when it comes to really players from their specific country. Having said that, and kind of a two-part question, really, looking at some of the players, I mean, like you had said, this is a team that is blessed with some of the best players in the world. We look at the defenders, and you can give or take with the likes of Joe Cancelo, uh, over there at Manchester City doing so well. The midfield with the likes of a Bernardo Silva, a Bruno Fernandes, uh, you know, many other players that are coming out, like uh, Vitinha, you know, a, a young player that I really am starting to like at PSG. Looking at the attack, I mean, with the likes of Andre Silva, Rafael Leal, obviously big, big player over there at Milan, Diego Jota, who's done so well at Liverpool, and looking at others like Joao Felix, and, and you know, we haven't even mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo yet. But Ruben Diaz, of course, again, another great defender. But just looking at this team as a whole, and I'm going to center it to Ronaldo on this one because, like you had said, it's the last one for him. I mean, you know, this is a player that's been playing well into his late 30s and has been so unstoppable, really, as one of the best in the world and for some of the greatest of all time. But how do you feel, and from a Portuguese perspective, how Cristiano Ronaldo will assess this World Cup in particular because it's going to be his his probably his last one and and just you know everything that kind of gets to him and and kind of that obsession of him wanting to be the best and you you know you'd say that maybe he is a player that you'd like to see him off the bench is that going to be the case uh for the World Cup when it kicks off in Qatar
4: The short answer to that one I would say is no, <laughs> probably, um, for for better or for worse. I think that Fernando Santos, I think that, sorry, Cristiano Ronaldo has a stranglehold over Fernando Santos. I mean, we saw just in, in Ronaldo trying to get that record for the most international goals. It seemed like there was two or three matches that are strictly devoted to the entire team trying to get those goals for Cristiano Ronaldo. It was such a Ronaldo-centric sort of campaign. So I think that we're going to see... Another one where it's Cristiano Ronaldo starting off and Fernando Santos, because it could be his final one as well. I think that if Portugal doesn't perform well, it could be his his swan song as well. So I, I think that the expectation is Cristiano Ronaldo starting. Now, what you were saying about players to watch, I would assume that Rafael Leon would be one that I think a lot of people will be keeping an eye on myself in particular I know but it is a question of will he get into the side because all of the players that you mentioned are technically sort of ahead of him in the pecking order and Fernando Santos has been one that is a little bit slow to sort of swap out the players that he trusts the players that have performed for him in the past even if they aren't really performing for him in the present or they're in bad form for their club. So I would say a player to watch would be Raphael Leon for sure. I mean, you guys have seen what he's been doing at AC Milan lately. He had a bit of a slow start to the season, but I think that is safe to say that he has arrived, especially after that performance in the uh, in the Derby della Madonnina, the uh, Milan Derby this past weekend where he was just unbelievable showed just how lethal he can be down that left flank. And uh, I would love to see him starting for Portugal. I've been wanting to see him start for Portugal for a while. He was excellent last season for AC Milan, but like I was saying, it just doesn't happen with Fernando Santos. He's very slow to sort of change up the players that he
0: trusts. I was going to say Milanisti are going to be really upset if Leao doesn't make this team. That's going to be, that's going to be headlines in Milan. I would think so let's, um let's go to predictions, right? Let's look at the group uh, and get your thoughts on how this group is going to pan out. Who's going to win the group. who will finish second. Um, how far will Portugal go in this world cup? Do you think, and what would winning the world cup for the first time mean to the people of Portugal and yourself as well?
4: So I think that Portugal are going to get out of this group. Uh, if I'm being as optimistic, if I'm not being, you know downtrodden down in the dumps, Adrian who doesn't have any belief in Fernando Santos and blah, blah 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 blah, if I'm being optimistic, I think that Portugal should top this group. I don't think that anyone could really disagree there except for maybe throwing Uruguay as a potential team that could uh, could top the group and maybe South Korea throwing in a surprise, but I think that Portugal and Uruguay going through is the most likely scenario out of all of them. And then I think, Honestly, I mean, I don't have a bracket in front of me, um, but it gets very difficult for Portugal from there on out. And I think that maybe a quarterfinals run would be considered acceptable at this point. You know, if Portugal got to the quarterfinals, I would say that that's a decent achievement. Do I expect them to make the semis and be one of the top four teams in the world? Not really. I just think that Brazil and Argentina and Germany and France and Spain are a step above Portugal at that moment. But like we've sort of gone over, guys, it's it's one of those things where if everything clicks and Portugal start to play at the sort of level that they're capable of, given the talent that they have, then, yeah, you could make an argument for them going much further. But I would say that my realistic expectation is Portugal making it to about the quarterfinals.
0: And what would the, what would a Portugal win mean for you?
4: I mean, it would mean a ton. It would mean it would mean so, so much, of course, that that, uh, there's videos on my on my wife's phone of me crying after Euro 2016 on the streets of Montreal. So it would mean so much more. Um, I think that in the past, it almost would have meant more for me because I never had a team to watch at the World Cup beyond Portugal. But now that I have Canada in there, a little bit more of the emotional connection is linked to Canada. But you know for for all those years of watching portugal for what it would mean for my entire family etc it would be crazy and i think it means so much to the people of portugal as well obviously such a small nation that has always looked over looked past that have overachieved let's be honest given their size versus the talent that they consistently put out there and how they've just continued on this trajectory of becoming this fantastic portuguese side this fantastic nation in world football but they haven't really got that one last tournament that they're hoping to get euro 2016 felt great but we're always thinking of 1966 even going back to 2006 i thought that that team was going to make it to the final but crashed out in the semi-finals and ended up getting fourth so that one last step maybe everything will go right and if they do get that win i mean count on me to be crying on the streets of Montreal
0: again. <laughs> Adrian, I want to thank you for joining us and helping us break down Group H and Portugal as they make their way to fo- to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. All the best to you and good luck to Portugal as they make their way there. And uh, we'll talk soon again, my friend.
4: Thanks so much for having me. Take care, guys.
0: And special thanks again to Adrian for joining us on the show. Last but not least, we have Miguel A.J., football journalist who specializes in covering Ghana football Joining us to preview Ghana as they head to the World Cup. So without further ado, the Miguel A.J. interview. Joining us now in this week in football, Miguel A.J., football journalist and cover of Ghanaian football. Miguel, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Uh, I want to open up with, uh, with the, uh, the quick question of what is your tie to Ghanaian football, uh, to Ghana, to the national team? What is your, your direct link to them?
5: So my parents are both from Ghana. Uh, They migrated here to the States when they were in their late adult years. Um, And yeah, I was born here in the States. Uh, I vividly remember watching the 2006 World Cup. Um, And from then on, it was just like every year that there was a World Cup, I was rooting for Ghana and hoping that Ghana would make a, a deep play in 2010. Made it to the quarterfinals and almost yeah. made it to the semifinals, yeah. almost making history to be the first African team to go to the semifinals. But as you guys all know, the the story, Luis Suarez, with that infamous handball and the missed penalty, takes us to penalties and extra after extra time. And we lose on penalties, and it is heartbreak. Um, so I'm definitely excited to see how this year, uh, goes for the World Cup, especially considering that Uruguay is in our group. So, those are my ties to Ghana as a country and Ghanaian football.
1: Well, certainly, when you look at the history of Ghana, obviously, Joe kind of mentioned it there, really, here as Americans, well, we're all Americans here, obviously, but obviously, there is that connection of being that team that is kind of the United States kryptonite, and, you know, they're not in their group, obviously, but uh, obviously, this is a Ghanaian side that qualified for the first ever World Cup in 2006. Made it to the round of 16, lost to Brazil, made it to the 2010 their, um, World Cup over there in their home continent, going to the quarterfinals. And then in 2014, getting paired off in a really tough group with um, with Portugal, Germany, and the United States and getting eliminated. Didn't qualify to the last one, but they are back. The Black Stars are back at the 2022 World Cup. And, you know, it was actually a tough ride for them. It was really a, a tough ride for this for this team, because, you know, as I think a lot of us know how difficult qualification to the World Cup from Africa is, they had to looking at how they went. They ended up winning their group just slightly by one goal uh, to qualify to the third round, defeating South Africa, Ethiopian, Zimbabwe before squaring up in a really, really tough uh, home and away leg tie against Nigeria. And it all ended. It seems like it's always a common reassure, a reoccurrence. For Ghana to always doing it in the most dramatic way, defeating Nigeria on away goals because of a Thomas Partley goal over there in Nigeria. So, Miguel, I mean, just looking at how you have assessed this Ghanaian side over the last four years, obviously not making the World Cup then, returning to it, um, you know, going through that really tough qualification process. I mean, how do you assess this side um, under Otto Apto as well?
5: I think right now, uh, their coach Otto Addo, we're going through a rebuild. Um, as you mentioned, we didn't make it in twenty eighteen, and that was kind of the big blow to us after making it consecutive years. Um, as as we know, you know, the team that did heroic things in 2010 in South Africa is no longer the same team. All those players have either retired or are aging near retirement, so it's it's a rebuild right now. And as you mentioned, you know, Ghana has some quite prospects that are young, um, and Thomas Partey, who plays at Arsenal. But it's really time for Ghana to pair, you know, these talented stars that play overseas with youngsters who play also back at home in Ghana and all over the various leagues across the world. Um, Under Coach Ado Ado, I think that, He's doing a great mix of finding talented players who may not have, you know, declared themselves as Ghanaian nationals, but have that Ghanaian background. So he's done really well with his recruitment. He's recruited Mohamed Salisu, Tariq Lamte, uh, Anaki Williams, just to name a few. And these are names that are known just across European football as a whole. If you watch La Liga, you watch the Premier League, you know these names, So it's really just a rebuild, and it's very interesting to see how he's going about this process to, you know, bring a team that can compete at this World Cup in November.
0: Now, Miguel, I want to jump in because I want to look at the group looking forward. Uh, obviously, they're drawn into a very tough group H with Portugal, um, you know, who's uh, once removed as the European champions, Uruguay, uh, two time World Cup champions, and South Korea coming out of the AFC. Ghana is the lowest ranked team so far, you know, in terms of the FIFA March rankings. Um, they're 60th versus Portugal in 8th, Uruguay in 13th, and South Korea in 29th. How does this group? Uh, you know pan out for you especially when you're looking at a team like you said that is in sort of a rebuild but they do have some really nice pieces that they're rebuilding with and i think they can be very competitive what are your thoughts on group h
5: i think group h is going to be definitely one to watch i think this group has everything that a football a neutral football fan would want because you have portugal who is a very competitive side you know they won the euro a couple of years ago and they're looking to win a World Cup under Cristiano Ronaldo because this is possibly his last World Cup. Then you have Uruguay, who's won the competition before, who also has bad blood because they eliminated Ghana in 2010. So that gives Ghana that extra fuel to bring something to the table, to to get the revenge for 2010. Then you have South Korea, who everybody knows Huming Sun from Tottenham Hotspur, and I think that that just kind of gives the group some flares like you don't know what exactly is going to happen you know there is there is possibilities that anyone in this group can qualify because if anybody manages to get a draw against Portugal that's a huge point for them instead of you know not getting three points in the group so I think that this is a really interesting group and you know as Ghana are going into this rebuild I think this group is perfect for them to show you know what they have you know they've recruited some talented prospects and coach Otto Otto just needs to put it all together and just come to play
1: oh, well that's definitely going to be one to watch for because looking at this team and I think you see some of the familiar names that we're all used to on this Canadian side like Thomas Partley like Andre Andre Ayu, but also some names that you know like you mentioned are being recruited like a Tarek Landley, like a Inaki Williams and and many other players so I just want your thoughts on how you would view this squad how do you really you know, I had the chance of seeing them in the in the Africa of nations and they did very well from what I saw. But how do you assess this squad? And, and hell, what do you think are some of those players that I think, you know, for Portuguese fans, Uruguayan fans, South Korean fans or just anyone that's a neutral that wants to check out more on this Guinea side uh, should look out for at this World Cup?
5: I think for this side, uh, the big the big three that I think that people should look out for is a Thomas Partey. Um, Obviously, he plays at Arsenal, really physical uh, midfielder who can control the midfield. He's a great player when it comes to winning the ball back and just getting it up the field. He makes some really crunching tackles. And I think that that'll be massive for us going up against, you know, Portugal and Uruguay as a whole. Then you also want to look out for Mohamed Koudis, who plays at Ajax. A very brilliant attacking midfielder, has some flair. He actually scored um, for IX uh, against Rangers in that 4-0 victory. He is someone who was linked to Everton, but the move didn't go through. But he his attacking play is extremely beneficial to this Ghanaian side. And I think that that paired with Inaki Williams, who we know gives the defense some problems if you watch La Liga. Um He's not the fastest. Well, he is quite fast, but he's not the fastest in football. But you give Anaki Williams a through ball one-on-one with a defender, and it's just trouble for them. So I think those three players are probably the big three for football fans to watch out for this World Cup. There are other players that I could name, but those are the big three for now that I would say that if you're watching Group H, you need to watch out for these players.
0: So great, because let's, let's jump into how Group H is going to pan out. What I want to do is I want to get your predictions. Um, one for the group, you know, how, where do, how do you think it's going to settle out? Uh, what do you think Ghana will do? What would be a successful run for Ghana in this World Cup, especially given how deep they've run in previous World Cups? And if they actually got to the finish line and won the World Cup, what would that mean for the people of Ghana?
5: Right. So for me, panning out, Um, I think anything can happen and I'm going to be a bit of an optimist. And I will say that Portugal goes through as a group winners and Ghana sneaks away as second and makes it out the group as well. Um, I say this because I think if Ghana gets a draw against Portugal and doesn't lose against Portugal, that'll be a big point for us. I think we can beat South Korea. And I think that just because of what happened in 2010, that the Ghanaian players will be extra motivated in the game against Uruguay. And I feel like that's, that's the big game where it's anything can happen. And that'll be the momentum swing that can catapult Ghana into the elimination round for this group. Now as to winning the world cup, we came close to doing that in 2010, which would have been monumental because no African team has ever made it to the final. So making it to the semifinals alone would be, you know, making history for us. But I think winning the World Cup as a whole would do a lot for the nation as a whole. I mean, people know Ghana because of the food, the music, the culture, um, also known as the Gold Coast because a lot of gold imports come from there. But I think if an African team wins the World Cup, it would put Africa on the map. Whereas to a lot of players who, you know, have the same story like me. Have parents who immigrated overseas in Europe into United States, and have that African background. They end up playing for you know United States or in England because they were born there, and those teams are better compared to African teams. So I think winning the World Cup for an African nation just puts African football on the map, where more people will respect it, more people would want to indulge in African football because. You look at other teams like Senegal who have world-class players, Sadio Mane, Koulibaly, Edouard Mendy, the list goes on and on. You look at Nigeria with Victor Oshiman and other players as well. African football is starting to grow once again. And I think that if an African team wins a World Cup, that'll just catapult African football on the map and just continue to do more for African players across the, the world.
0: So I I, I wanna close with one more question. First of all, I'd also like to let the listeners know that they need to circle December second on their calendar because that is the day of the Ghana Uruguay matchup and it could that could very well dictate who's going to go through to the next round and who's going to be going home. So but one more question to close, Miguel. Um, being a Ghanaian American, what uh, what would Ghana's win what would Ghana's World Cup win if they won the whole tournament? What would that mean to you personally?
5: Oh man, it would it would mean a lot. Um, watching this team since I was six, I've seen the growth and I've seen heartbreak. I've seen progress. I've yet to see Ghana win up, uh, lift up a trophy in in my my years of living. But to see that would be ultimately amazing. Uh, it's kind of like being a Milan fan. I've been a Milan fan since I was ten. And it's been ten years before we we won a scudetto, and just being able to see the rise and fall of that Milan team would be the same thing for Ghana because I've seen Ghana make it to Afcon finals and we've lost two one or we've lost on penalties, and those heartbreaks stick with you as a football fan. But being able to see your team lift that trophy and see that you know all that hard work paid off and you went back to the drawing board and you figured it out and you finally become a champion. I think that's one of the greatest feelings in football.
0: Miguel, I want to thank you for coming on the show and joining us and helping us break down Ghana as they enter the 2022 World Cup. All the best and good luck to you and Ghana as they uh, as they adventure down to Qatar and try to win the whole thing.
5: Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: And special thanks again to Miguel A.J. for joining us on the show to preview Ghana as they head to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. Roberto, it's prediction time for us. Final one of our preview series, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. I will go first in this one. And this is really, really difficult. And and just sitting here thinking about this group, and I've been thinking about it for a few minutes, I, I really don't know... What's gonna come out of my mouth, I guess, is the best thing to say. Let's start off with. Uh, I think fourth place will be Ghana. Uh, I don't know that. Uh, I think that again, another team that's happy to get back, a team that's happy to be here, but I don't know that they're talented enough to be able to to make their run all the way to the final, or you know, to the the top of the group. They're gonna face a South Korean side that, that that is very very talented. Again, another organized side with great firepower in ming Song. So I think Ghana will finish fourth. I'm going to go South Korea third in this one. Looking at the two other teams, uh, they are mega, mega talented, and I don't think that they will be able to challenge them ultimately to to win. I think they might scare them. Uh, you know, I think they're going to score some goals against them, but I don't think that ultimately they'll be able to beat Uruguay or Portugal. Second place, and I think this is where I want to be daring. This is where I want to be, um, you know, kind of a, this is the upset pick or the wow pick. I'm going to go Portugal second. Uh, Portugal is incredibly talented. They have a great midfield. They have Cristiano Ronaldo. But we, you know, lately, what we've seen out of Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't know what Cristiano Ronaldo we're going to get. This is, again, obviously or possibly his last World Cup. Uh, I think that that will weigh heavily on him, and it, it will be on him to perform above and beyond what you would expect. But I do think this Uruguay side, once they made the change from Tavares, uh, I, I think they... They kind of refocus, and you saw a renewal of this side. So I'm going to go with Portugal second, and I'm going to go Uruguay to win this group, and, uh, and Portugal-Brazil will probably be that round-of-16 match, which is going to be phenomenal to see. But that is my prediction. Uh, we're going to go Ghana fourth, South Korea third, Portugal second, Uruguay first. What say you, my friend?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think it really is very much a, a tough group to decide as well. I think you have four entertaining sides that could indeed go and, and pose a surprise having said that i do think that it kind of is as straightforward as you said it is i think for all the talent that south korea and, and camera sorry ghana has i think ultimately they're the ones that do miss out I, I do think that for me south korea will finish in third i think the talent of Min song might help them just a bit more and, and that will put them right above ghana who i think will finish in fourth And you say it's daring to say that what your prediction is for Portugal? I don't say I don't think so at all. I think I agree with you on that part. I think Mm. Portugal, for all the talent that they have, I think it's gonna be a bit difficult for them to to definitely, you know, gel as a team under Fernando Santos. And I I, I do think the kind of surprise you would say would see them finishing in second, which you know, if it does happen, and basing on our predictions, that sets up a round of 16 match between Brazil and Portugal, which will definitely be one of the games to watch at this World Cup. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I do think Uruguay win it. I think Uruguay are immensely talented side and have played much better under Diego Alonso. I think they have what it takes to to demonstrate how good they are at this World Cup, and I think it will probably show in this case again. So I say Uruguay in first, Portugal in second. South Korea
0: in third Ghana into fourth. Sounds uh, sounds like we agree. Um, And and this is going to be a great, great world cup. So again, thank you to our guests, Adrian Sousa, Miguel AJ, Jesse Loesch, and Steve Price for joining us to preview this group. If you enjoyed the series, please like and share them. Uh, They'll be available on Apple podcasts as, as you would know, and uh, on Spotify as well. And please spread the word. We appreciate all the support and the help. So For my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas, I am Joe Ucello. Thanks for listening to our preview of Group H of the 2022 World Cup, and enjoy the tournament. Good night.